And we're live. All right, good to see you guys. We've got a great show for you today. Um, you know, to start with, we're back from break. There's been a little break from the shows. So if you've been following me on social media, you know that the talk of all of my accounts is our new cows. Okay, these are Honey Bear and Teddy Bear Starbuck. We're going to jump into real news in a minute as people join up here. But to begin, let me introduce you, if you haven't met them yet, to Honey Bear Starbuck. This is Honey Bear. Okay. And then we've got them together. That's Teddy Bear in the background. I'll give you guys a close-up of Teddy Bear. All right, look at this. Look at his eyes. He's got blue eyes, okay? Beautiful, beautiful. He's a bull. He's our bull calf, and she's the heifer. So eventually, Teddy Bear and Honey Bear are going to make baby bears. So that's that's the game plan, okay? So there's going to be lots of cow content. Um, maybe not on the show, but in my post. So if you're following me on X or on Instagram or any of these places, you will see plenty of cute cows. And uh, that's one cool update we have for you all today. If you are on Instagram, um, this is the first time we've been able to stream the show live to Instagram. So if there's any problems, any hiccups in the technology, I apologize. This is a brand new feature that we're able to stream there. So we're not positive how it's going to look. They didn't really give us an ability to test it or anything, but we always want to bring the show live to everyone we can. So it is now available there as well. X is honestly the best platform to watch it on because the quality is the highest. We seem to have the least issues there, but happy to have our, our audience of over a quarter million people now on Instagram be able to uh, watch live with us. So that's, that's amazing, and we're happy to have that. Now, there's been some big stories over break. I'm going to jump in, though, with something that is breaking today, and that's this story, a mass shooting at a school in Iowa, and, you know... Information in these shootings is always sort of hard to come by really fast, but somebody was able to track down and identify the shooter early on. Okay, so we do have some information in that regard coming from the Libs of TikTok account. Fantastic account. If you don't already follow it, you probably all already do. But if you don't, fantastic, fantastic source for tons of information going on in the world right now. But it turns out this Iowa shooter had the LGBT flag in his bio and a post with the trans flag where he used the hashtag gender fluid. Another post read, love your trans kids. Libs of TikTok asked the poignant question, is this another case of trans terrorism? Watch this story disappear from media, which is, you know, I think what we've all come to realize is going to happen if it doesn't fit the narrative. They are going to remove these stories from the media. So I went ahead and grabbed this so everybody can see it. This was the page. It has now been taken down by TikTok. This was the shooter's page. It does, in fact, have that LGBTQ flag that was described by Libs of TikTok. And this was the post where you see the trans flag being shared and you see down at the bottom the hashtag gender fluid. So, um, you know, I think it is time to ask some questions. We've had these mass shootings carried out now, um, not just Iowa, but also in Nashville, here in our home state of Tennessee. You've had violence carried out in Colorado where there was a plan for a mass shooting as well from somebody who identified as trans. And so I do think it is time to start asking the question, if if these people are on hormones, you know, what kind of care are they getting for gender dysphoria, which has been a known mental illness under the DSM? And, you know, what kind of treatment is being done? Because I do think there's a danger when you don't recognize a pattern. And I do think there is a pattern developing here. And it's something that people have a right to ask questions about to figure out how can we keep things safe? And again, this is our first time streaming on Instagram again. So, you know, we've got, we've got to be a little, a little uh, careful how we say this exactly, but I think everybody knows where I'm going. Um, and to be honest, you know, I kind of have the same policy I've always had with YouTube, which is if they ban us for telling the truth, so be it, you know, but we're going to tell the truth. And I think that's the way a lot of people need to operate is just, you know, tell the truth. It's, it's not a hard thing to do, but it is, um, turned into one socially because of the fact that telling lies has become so much easier and people buying into delusions has been popularized. You know, when you buy into delusions, dangerous things happen. And I think that's one of those things that has happened at the border is a lot of people in the Democratic Party have bought into this idea that, oh, these are all just people claiming asylum because, you know, they're in these dangerous home countries when the reality truly is a lot of these countries, the vast majority of those countries have the vast majority of their land and places people could live in a condition that is safer than large blue cities here in America. 
Okay, that's something maybe hard for some of these folks to understand on the left, but it is the truth. You know, you look at a country like El Salvador, far less murders than you see in places like Chicago or Memphis. Okay, that's just the truth. And some people might not like the truth, but that's what it is. And, you know, if you think the only reason people are coming here is because they're fleeing some dangerous situation, you're just not paying attention. Look at California, okay? Illegal immigrants just became eligible for health insurance in California today, costing the state over $3 billion a year. Starting today, California now becomes the first state to provide health insurance to all undocumented, quote-unquote, people of all ages, a.k.a. illegal immigrants. The state is now preparing to provide full coverage to roughly 700,000 individuals under the state's medical system, and it's expected to cost the state $3.1 billion each year, and this comes on the heels of California facing a record $68 billion budget deficit. Now, here's the thing. They say 700,000 individuals will be covered under the state's medical system is what they're expecting. That's what they're preparing for. Well, one small problem with that. There are millions upon millions of illegal immigrants in California, okay? In fact, some people, some people don't seem to understand. When you say the Democrats are allowing illegal immigration and encouraging it for a political reason, they say, oh, well, these people can't vote in a federal election, so that can't be the case. Well, it's more nuanced than that. Number one, San Francisco is already moving to allow illegal immigrants to vote in local elections. If you don't think that's going to eventually extend to federal, then you're fooling yourself. D.C. and Boston are both moving toward doing the same thing. Now, beyond that, how else do they affect our politics? Well, there's one very, very large way they affect our politics. And that's through the census. The census does not simply count American citizens. It counts everybody who is present in the United States of America. And in doing so, those people are unjustly, in my opinion, represented in terms of the apportionment of congressional seats. That means that places like California are getting extra congressional seats by pure fact that they have this mass you know, uh, population of illegal immigrants. Those people are counted as folks who need representation despite the fact that they are not US citizens. So you don't have to even vote in an election to affect our politics. If you removed all the illegal immigrants out of the United States of America today, you're talking about an untold number of increase in congressional seats for Republicans to a degree that would just be, you know, really earth shaking in, in DC. I mean, it would make a real difference in terms of the sort of strength that the Republican Party has on a legislative level were this not the case, okay? So when we look at these numbers, California's preparing for paying for 700,000 illegal immigrants health insurance. You already have millions upon millions of people. And then consider this fact. According, this is not Fox News, it's not Breitbart, this CBS News admits this. U.S. border officials are on track to process over 300,000 migrants in December a monthly record, okay? Now, I want you to think about this, put it in perspective. Miami has less than 500,000 people inside of it. So in a two-month period, you are replacing the population of Miami. Wyoming has less than 600,000 people living in it. So in two months, you are replacing, effectively, the population of Wyoming. Think about the political effect of this mass number of people in the United States over the course of years of Biden being president, okay? And then ask yourself when eventually the Democrats, if they get away with it, grant these people citizenship, how this is going to affect our politics. Because we've already seen videos down at the border. I mean, just this week, James O'Keefe posted a video where at the end of it, they asked the illegal immigrant a very simple question. Do you intend to vote in federal elections? They say yes. Okay. Does that mean they'll get away with it? No, but they say they intend to. And they say, who are you going to vote for? They say Joe Biden, because he's giving us an opportunity. Okay. Now then consider a state like California, where when you go to the DMV, they push registration on you immediately. The state of California has already admitted that they have registered tens of thousands of illegal immigrants, at least to vote in federal elections. And they say, oops, sorry, we didn't mean to. That's just not good enough. When you see these problems on this scale and you realize that we're only scratching the surface, you start to understand we're dealing with a gigantic problem and it's all lying under the surface. We're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. 
That's it. That's all we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg of this problem. So when you see headlines about rapes or murders perpetrated by illegal immigrants, or you see the effect it's having on local communities in South Texas, you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of the long-term effect of this type of migration. And then ask yourself this. I said this earlier this week. Make this your thought crime of the day. Just ponder this. Think about it. Doesn't matter what political side you're on. I want you to ask yourself a question. When in human history have 300,000 people a month been able to walk into a country illegally and it not be considered an invasion or an act of war? It has never happened before in human history. It has never been possible. Anytime a group of 300,000 people per month entered a country illegally, it was considered an invasion or an act of war. And I know I rail on Democrats, but guess what? Republicans, you are not getting off either. Because here's the thing. You're going down there to the border. That's what they just did this week. They went down there, a big group of these Republican congressional members, they went down to the border, and they do this great show in front of the cameras about how we need changes at the border. But here's the thing, Republicans in office. You didn't need to pass the budget. Okay, you didn't need to give the Biden administration what they wanted to keep the government open. You had the power in the House to just say, no. No, we're, we are not going to take part in this until we stop the border problem. The border problem is not electoral politics. You cannot use it as such. This is a crisis that is far, far past the point of using as political football. This is a threat to our children, our grandchildren, our country as we know it. And if you don't stand up and do everything possible to stop it, and you use it as some sort of political football so that you can get some points in an election, well then frankly, you're not worthy of your office. We need courage. We need people asking themselves, what would our founders do? That should be the operating question every day for our Republican electeds. They need to ask themselves that because I guarantee you they wouldn't go down and just do theater down at the border. They're not just going to peacock for cameras, do a Fox News hit, send that out in a fundraising email, and make some money for their next run. They would not do that. They would be taking every action necessary to stop it. They would be using the budget and every vote and every inch that the Biden administration wants from them as a negotiating tool to be able to get the American people the border security they deserve. And not only that, Republican governors, okay, when are we going to see a spine? Honestly, I said this before. If I was a Republican governor, what I would do right now is I would go and set up a state-level deportation task force. I would go and do it whether the legislature wanted me to or not. I would deport these people back to their home countries, and I would personally escort a group of them who are hardened criminals. I would search out the worst criminals of them all, the murderers, the rapists, and I would drive that damn bus myself back to their home countries, drop them off, and make as big of a show as you possibly can of it for one very important reason. Not for, not for notoriety, not for attention, but to dare, to double dog dare the Biden administration to do something about it. Throw me in prison. Throw me in jail for doing my duty as the head of a state and removing these people who are here illegally and pose a threat to our citizens. Go ahead and do that. Throw, throw me in prison, a governor for doing that. That's what every red state governor should be doing right now. Have the courage to go to jail for your convictions and stand up for something because that, that is what our founders would have done. They would not have gone and, and shrinked in this moment and done a Fox News hit for fundraising and said, well, I hope we win in 2024 so we can put a stop to this. 300,000 people a month, we're talking about almost a million people every three months, okay? You wanna keep that going into 2024 where this is increasing month over month, by the way, we may be at 500,000 migrants a month when we hit August, okay? Maybe more. You wanna let that continue? See, I'm not willing to risk the future of our country because I have kids. I care about their ability to carry on the legacy of the American dream, for them to have a piece of it. They're not going to have it if this continues. You know, Elon Musk said the public needs to be made aware of, of a very important fact, okay? Because we're talking about numbers that do not include the caravans that are coming, okay? They do not include all of these gotaways where, where we don't even count the people because we didn't encounter them, okay? 
This is a tweet from Myra Flores. She shared this video. Her husband is a border agent. I have been down there. Myra and I have been to the border together. Her husband is one of those brave people who is at the border, who, by the way, the majority of CBP agents are themselves Latinos. So for all the libs out there who like to pretend this is all racism from the CBP, you're talking about a group of people who are majority Latino, and they understand the threat to our country because they see the foreign nationals, the people on terrorist lists, the cartel members, the human trafficking, the child rape that goes on. You know, there's something called rape trees most liberals don't know about. I don't even like calling them liberals because there's nothing liberal about them, but these people don't know the pain of these rape trees where women and children are raped and then they get their undergarments hung on the tree as a trophy by cartel members. This is the depravity that they are allowing, that they're encouraging, okay? So watch this video. What you just saw is a group of 15,000 approximately people from over 24 countries who are part of the largest migrant caravan of 2023 known as the Poverty Exodus. Okay, they recently departed from southern Mexico and they're on their way to the U.S. border. This is one of many caravans that will be coming. And I want you guys to really think about this issue when it comes to the primary elections coming up. Okay, not just presidential, but all of them. But as long as we're on the topic of presidential, let's go and take a look at Nikki Haley's comments on immigration. Go ahead and listen to this. Very important. Let's keep in mind, these people that are wanting to come here, they want to come for a better life, too. They have kids, too. They have a heart, too. They, so we don't need to be disrespectful. We don't need to talk about them as criminals. They're not. They're families. You know what I find disrespectful, Nikki Haley? I find it disrespectful when people break into your country illegally. And last time I checked, when you break into a country illegally, it is a crime. What do you call people that commit crimes? You call them criminals. This is not a hard concept, okay? I am Latino. My family did come here the right way, legally. And let me tell you what, I don't care what reason these people are coming to our country. They are doing it, breaking the law in our country. I don't care if somebody comes to my house intending to want to love my daughter and give her everything in life. If they break into my house never having met my daughter and try to steal her out of my house, I really don't care what their intentions were. I don't care if they were the best intentions in the world. They broke, they broke the code, number one, of our home. They committed a crime. What they did was illegal. And they don't know if they have our consent. They don't. And so whether these people are coming to this country for a better life or not, we did not invite them. They do not have our consent to step into our country. We need to protect our country like our home. And if we don't, we're going to come to regret it because we're gonna lose our country. This is not a difficult concept. Again, it really is not, Nikki. And here's the thing, you know, I think this primary has been instructive. It's been instructive about who we not just don't want to be president, but who we don't want to be vice president, who we don't want in a cabinet position. And it's not personal, Nikki, it's really not. But you made it personal. You made it personal with these comments for every American, because you know what? The American people are tired of having their language policed by people who believe there are betters, who don't have to deal with the reality of the situations that they create. American politicians and their weakness created the situation that we're in now, where our country is overrun with over 300,000 people a month breaking into our country, committing crimes, doing God knows what, creating filth on our streets. And yes, there are good people, you know, to quote Donald Trump, there are good people among them, but those good people still started this, this whole journey with a crime. That's not a good way to start off, okay? You wanna to come to our country, do it legally. And unfortunately for the people who wanna come legally, guess what? With all this illegal immigration, we don't have room. So effectively, this illegal immigration is killing the dreams of people trying to do it the right way. That's shameful. And I think Nikki Haley owes an apology to every American who is dealing with the fallout of this. Your Molly Tibbetts out there who were murdered by an illegal immigrant. Women who have dealt with being raped by one. To hear a politician go up there and say, you know, let's not, let's not call these people names. Let's not be disrespectful. Let's not call them criminals. We're going to call them what, what they are, which is criminals.
You are a criminal if you break into our country. This is not a difficult concept. And by the way, as long as we're on the topic of criminals, um, I saw this tweet from Jeff Clark. He was calling on Nikki Haley to give Reed Hoffman's $250,000 donation back to him. Reed Hoffman, a top Democratic donor, by the way. Why is he giving money to a Republican, you might ask? Well, I think that's a good question. This guy, you know, he's... Uh, He's only pretty much exclusively given his money to super far left candidates. And what is this? Oh, Reed Hoffman visited Jeffrey Epstein's private island. Good information. You know, I think that uh, Nikki Haley would be wise to take my great grandfather's advice, which was that if you hang around the sewer long enough, you're going to start to smell like sewage. And when you take money from people like Reed Hoffman, you're going to start to smell like him. Okay, so I think Nikki Haley has a lot of things to consider and some changes to make on the campaign trail. As long as we're talking about Epstein, you know, if anybody wants to call about the Epstein topic, you can call in 615-703-5888. We're going to be going through sort of some of these, these files that dropped yesterday. Um, you know, I will say this. Some people hyped this up a lot more than I think it, it probably should have been. They made it sound like we were going to have this list of 200 people, you know, in, in all these crazy places that were going to be unveiled. There are some names here that I think people didn't know, but I think um, it's important to sort of give the, the reality situation, which is this is going to be drip, 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 dripping out for months, okay? And um, probably longer than that. And there are some very powerful entities and people who are trying to do everything possible to slow down the release of this information. So I'll give you guys what we've got here. Um, and we'll start with Bill Clinton. You know, I almost laughed. I saw this headline from Fox Nashville, who I like. I like Fox Nashville, but this headline was ridiculous. Um, it said, Clinton and Trump in Epstein documents no misconduct alleged, okay? So let me show you this. This is a highlight from the documents that dropped the court documents on Jeffrey Epstein yesterday. And this is a witness, uh, a victim being asked if they knew if Bill Clinton was a friend of Jeffrey Epstein. They said they knew that Epstein had dealings with Bill Clinton. And then they were asked, did Jeffrey ever talk to you about Bill Clinton? And this victim said, he said one time that Clinton likes them young, referring to the girls. If that's not misconduct, Please explain to me what is, because we all know what that means. In the context of everything around Jeffrey Epstein and these victims, using the term that Bill Clinton likes young girls kind of says everything. Okay. And then uh, you go further into this. The one part that was true was about Donald Trump. He was totally exonerated by these documents. Uh, he came up multiple times. And in every case, the victims were all saying, no, they, they did not have interactions with him in any way. And that he didn't take part in any of this stuff, um, was not on the island, was not in New Mexico, was not at his New York residence, um, any of that stuff. So the times Trump was on the Epstein plane were times where he caught a flight from Palm Beach to New Jersey, and it was with multiple other you know people on the plane to basically catch a flight back to to there and it wasn't um to the island it wasn't to any of epstein's properties or anything like that and i believe if i'm i'm not going to say i'm not going to say how many times it was i want to say it was just two times that he caught this flight and if you've been to palm beach you know that it's there's not a lot of flights in and out so if somebody is prominent they're going in and out a lot of times they're doing it on a private jet and they borrow jets of people so they'll say hey can i use your jet to go here um and i know a number of people who do this that are athletes and things along those lines who they'll borrow a jet from somebody and use it to to go and they'll pay them back for the gas or whatever it is um you know, and you see this again, this is another document where they asked about Trump, did did they ever massage Donald Trump or do anything with him? And they say, no, no, no. And they, they say no as well about George Lucas. Um, so that's another name that came up that was totally cleared in this. Now, who was not cleared? Thomas Pritzker, okay? Why do you know that name, Thomas Pritzker? You know that name because the Pritzker family is deeply, deeply embedded in democratic politics, okay? J.B. Pritzker, he is the governor of Illinois. Okay, his sister Penny. Penny is an appointee by the Biden administration overseeing all types of things. And also, they've got one that's on the corporation at Harvard. That's basically their board, okay, which we'll get into later with the Claudine Gay story. But um, then they've also got J.N. Pritzker, born a biological male, okay, goes by Jennifer now, okay, first trans billionaire in the world, and has funded huge amounts of the apparatus of the trans agenda. 
huge amounts, okay? That's why you know the Pritzker name. Well, Thomas Pritzker was identified in these Epstein documents, allegedly involved in sexual activities with an Epstein victim. Here's the quote. How many times have you had sex with Tom Pritzker? I believe I was with Tom once. Thomas is the heir to the Pritzker family, which includes at least 11 billionaires. And again, like I said, that includes the governor of Illinois and the Harvard board chair, Penny Pritzker. And it says here, you know, um, very clearly what was alleged. You can see it below. I mean, I don't need to read all this for you. You can see yourself that um, this is very serious misconduct alleged. And then more allegations from Virginia Guffrey. She says that she was trafficked by Epstein and Maxwell to have sex with Prince Andrew and that Maxwell directed her to have sex with billionaire hedge fund manager Glenn Dubin. Okay. A single name was redacted of an individual that Jelaine Maxwell allegedly directed underage girls to have sex with. Who is that person? The redacted name was next to former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, billionaire hedge fund manager Glenn Dubin, Prince Andrew, model scout Jean-Luc Brunel, and computer scientist Mark Minsky. Now, if that name Jean sounds familiar to you, it might be because of this. Jean, much like Epstein, was found dead in a prison cell. Okay, let that sink in. Let that sink in for a second. You can see here the document where Bill Richardson is named and here where Dubin is named. So, you know, these documents, they, they do make things very, very clear in terms of those people and the allegations against them. Now, this came up right before the show today. There is a report that Maine Senator George Mitchell is one of the redacted names in the Epstein files. So you can see here, here's Mitchell with the Clintons. They were there for his bust unveil. And that's reportedly the guy, okay, that's missing from that list. Now, we'll update you guys as more comes out on this Epstein stuff, but I do think, you know, the reality is we're just scratching the surface. If you think that Epstein is the whole story or that, you know, the idea of blackmailing powerful people died with Epstein, you're fooling yourself, okay? I mean, you're totally deluded if you think that all of this dies with Epstein. It does not. This will continue. I mean, this is a tried and true method of gaining power, money, and influence. They go and they blackmail these people. Don't believe me? Take a look at this. This is another story right now. After Epstein died, honeypots continue, okay? High-end sex ring in Boston, D.C. areas was a honeypot scheme by either Russia, China, South Korea, or even Israel to ensnare U.S. officials, reports the Daily Mail, okay? Now, when this story came out, I warned people this was a honeypot, okay? Here's why you should be extremely concerned and why I knew it was a honeypot. The location in D.C. made it very clear that this was going to ensnare officials with high-end security clearances. I will say one thing that I did not expect. I did not expect that members of Congress were stupid enough to go to a, an open brothel like this, okay? I did not think that. I thought we would we would we would see people ensnared from like the NSA, CIA, stuff like that that were at like not crazy high levels but with enough security clearance to do damage. Well, no. Members of Congress, active members of Congress, military officers and national security contractors who possess the highest level security clearances, something I I confirmed today, were customers, quote unquote, of this high-end brothel. Okay? They were paying these women up to 600 an hour. And here's the thing you got to understand. How these honeypots work is that they lure these men in with attractive women, okay? Which, by the way, it's the men's fault, okay? I'm not blaming anybody else for luring them in. They, this is the men's fault. They chose to do this, okay? And it's 99% of the time men, so let's not pretend like this is, you know, a problem we see across both sides, okay? The men do this. They go, they pay for sex. Somebody records it surreptitiously, they don't know what's happening. They already committed a crime, so what are they gonna do? Go report blackmail and go, hey, this person recorded me having sex when I paid a prostitute. I committed a crime, they recorded me. No, so somebody comes to them, they have the images, they have the video, and they say, hey, I saw what you did with so-and-so at so -and such and such brothel. You've got that vote coming up on the energy committee. Um, you know, 
It would be a shame if anybody saw this. I hope you vote the right way. I represent blah, blah, blah. We want to see it go this way. This stuff happens all over the world. Okay, so don't fool yourself into thinking it doesn't. It happens. You know, we may even, I'll reach out to a couple of my friends in Congress to see if we can get one of them on to talk about this this week or next week. But this is a reality of high stakes, high level government. People are out there trying to ensnare powerful people in honeypots to be able to get what they want. This, this case here, though, should be very concerning because the prosecutors have not named the members of Congress or these high-level officials. Why is the Biden administration protecting them? I don't care what party they're from. For all I know, this could turn out to be all Republicans. It may, may be people that we, that we know and we're like, hey, oh, wow, that's shocking. I doubt it, but let's pretend. I'm just saying I don't care what political party they're from. This needs to be called out. We need names to be named. The American people deserve to know who sold us out. Who was willing to risk our national security after being blackmailed in this honeypot scheme? I think people deserve to know. And keep in mind, this, this, this brothel was a 15-minute drive from the White House, Congress, the Pentagon, and the CIA. It's also surrounded by giants such as Lockheed Martin, Boeing, and General Dynamics. They were also operating brothels in Boston, okay? Meanwhile, this is going to make you guys laugh, okay? Um, I, I'm no Dave Chappelle, but I think this will make you guys laugh. Right after that, on the heels of this, where we know members of Congress have not been named, I think the congressional approval rating is like probably 3% right now. I mean, it's awful. People do not approve of Congress, okay? And this guy, let me show you his face first. This guy, Patrick McHenry, do you want to know what he said? You want to know what his demand is? He says that Congress needs a raise. Okay? Congress, you're either laughing or you're extremely angry by this. One of the two. Either is acceptable. He says, most of us don't have wealth. I love a congressman crying poor. I mean, that's just, that's rich. We looked into McHenry's finances. He has two homes. One is worth as much as $5 million. Okay? That's from Quiver Quantitative. Members of Congress are currently paid a salary of 174000 a year. Over half the members of Congress are millionaires. Nobody wants to hear them cry poor. Nobody. Okay? Are they underpaid? Absolutely not. Okay? Absolutely not. They're not underpaid. If anything, the one argument you can make is that a housing stipend should be there to make sure that they can have a place in D.C. and their home. Okay? Because it does create a weird deal with how expensive D.C. is and the fact that they need to be there a decent period of time and be able to sleep there overnight and stuff like that. That's, that's a whole different combo. Okay? But their salary at $174,000 a year is massive. Okay? Compared to the rest of America, that's a great salary. Okay? It just, if you don't find this wildly offensive, when we're at a moment in U.S. history where Congress has gotten nothing done, they've done nothing but basically slap the American people in the face, and then they turn around and they're like, hey, <clears throat> actually, how about a raise? That's crazy town. Imagine you're, okay, I want you to imagine you're at a job, okay? Let's say this is, you're at a fast food place, okay? You're fast food, okay? You're a cook there. As a cook, you're constantly 40 seconds late for every item that you're supposed to get out. So you're supposed to get hamburgers out within a minute. You're taking a minute 40 each time. Um, you don't show up for work three times a month without telling your boss. Um, you basically fail in every way. You make the wrong burger on a daily basis and there's constant complaints to managers about your behavior. You have asked your manager to secretly pay off another employee who has accused you of sexual harassment. I mean, we could go up and down the list. It's pretty bad once you get into trying to compare an average worker to a congressional member. But let's just pretend. In any scenario, do you think that person is asking for a raise or do you think they're fired? They've already been fired. Okay, trick question. They've already been fired. Very simple. We'll take the call. Somebody's calling in. Go ahead and tell us your name, where you're from. Oh, sorry. I think we're still connecting. Stephen. Stephen. Where are you from, Stephen? Bowling Green, Kentucky. Oh, nice. I got good friends up there. You guys have a great senator, Rand Paul, up there. What do you think about um, Patrick McHenry here saying that Congress needs a raise? Do you think Congress needs a raise? 
Not at all. No. <laughs> what 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 do you think I about think a member of Congress saying that? They need to do that? the war to shut some down the border and maybe a few other things before they even think about getting paid. Exactly. How do you feel about this Epstein uh, document release that just came out? Well, you know, it's funny we're getting all this, but yet the FBI claims to have lost the tapes. And then Comey's daughter, who's the one who prosecuted Maxwell, lost the evidence. Isn't it amazing how they always lose stuff? They always seem to lose the things that could be incriminating to people that are basically in charge of the country. Like, you know, you've got Hillary Clinton and her blackmails just suddenly getting hammered and bleach bitted. <laughs> you know, you've got... It, it just right. goes... You go up and down the list. Oh, Epstein's cell during the time where he, quote, killed himself, the camera footage is unavailable, and the guards were asleep. You know, I mean, all of this stuff, you go up and down the list, it couldn't be more obvious that and, there's puppeteers his, pulling the strings. And his cellmate was also a murderer. Yep. Yeah, and, and recently was placed in there, right? So I know one of the things yeah. that had happened, Tucker Carlson said, is that you know Epstein had actually been convinced he was going to be getting out of prison. Tucker Carlson talked to a good uh, source who had just spoken with Epstein. He was convinced he was getting out of prison. He was scheduled to have a hearing soon. And the same day that source had talked to Epstein was the day that he was found dead. Okay, so you take a person who was hopeful they were leaving prison thinking that they could get out at their next hearing. And suddenly, they're found dead, and the country tries to, or not really the country, the government tries to convince the country that that person killed themselves. I'm not buying it. I'm not, I'm not buying it, never have, never will. I don't think there's anything that will ever convince me of that fact that it was not something that was carried out. You don't, you don't suddenly, okay, here's the thing. You don't take a character like Epstein, who is a historic, all-time pedophile, Okay, with the largest pedophilia ring story in American history, get him into prison in a federal penitentiary and then have guards falling asleep and cameras not working. That does not happen unless somebody makes it happen. Not by accident anyway. Exactly. Does it feel frustrating to you that, you know, all of these things going on? Republicans are down at the border doing photo. To me, it feels like photo ops. You know, I, I've seen them go and visit the border enough times. We understand the problem. Dog and pony show. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? A dog and pony show where, you know, where's the action? Where's the doing? Do you see yeah. any doing going on where you live or, or around the country? Do you see any evidence that they are doing something about the problem? No, man. Bowling Green's a sanctuary city. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I actually didn't know that about Bowling Green. They they designated themselves a sanctuary city? Yes, sir. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, that's something we probably uh, need to do some coverage on is, is cities in the South who have designated themselves sanctuary cities. Because we see all the ones, you know, there's the, there's the big ones like L.A., Chicago, New York. Everybody knows that. But it'd be interesting to go through the South and all of our major cities, how many have designated themselves to be these quote-unquote sanctuary cities. And then make some sort of effort on a legislative level from the state side of things where we have Republican majorities in Kentucky and Tennessee and places like this to go after these cities to stop this practice because it's outside their authority. And I think that the state uh, you know, authority supersedes the, the city in these cases. And I think there's a great argument to be made by Republican governors that they have a duty to safety and they need to come in, overrule these DAs, overrule these maniacal city council members and mayors who are calling themselves, you know, designating their city sanctuary cities. We need to see more action on that front. Do you agree? Yeah, and the Biden administration suing Texas over the law that if you enter Texas illegally, they can deport you. I mean, doesn't that say everything? You've got a state finally waking up to try to do something, and the federal government sues them. Texas tries to 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 put up some fences. The federal government cuts them down. You know, I mean, they could literally cut holes in fences erected by Texas. The the Biden administration did that. Okay, and. If anybody's thinking that this is not an intentionally open border, just watch a video of them cutting the fence open. I mean, it's not, there's no excuse you could possibly make. None. There's, there's no conceivable excuse. Thank you for calling in. We appreciate it. 
Um, we got to jump to a story about a hate crime in Nashville. I call it a hate crime because it is a hate crime. So these folks you're looking at that I've got on camera here, can we switch to them real quick so people can see them? So these folks you see, this is the father, the mother, and older brother of a young teen boy here in Nashville who has gone nameless because he is a minor. These are his parents, his older brother, who were arrested and charged for assaulting him. They assaulted him because the young boy converted to Christianity from Islam. So he became a Christian, parents found out, and the response from his parents and his older brother was to beat him. The police found the young boy with bruises and, you know, really, really terrible evidence of the assault. I mean, just awful from what I was told. Awful, 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 awful. The good news is the young boy is now with a Christian foster family and people who know him are saying that he is doing fantastic now that he's with that foster family. He's excited about his Christian faith. And I think that that's something to, to celebrate. And here's the thing. I had somebody respond to me and say, why are you posting these stereotypes? Um, this is not a stereotype. The reason I posted this story up and it got a lot of attention online is because this is not being charged as a hate crime. Everybody knows that if a Christian family beat their teen child for converting to Islam, they would be in prison for a hate crime. Same for any other religion except for Christianity. And there's no excuse for that. It is still a hate crime if you beat a young boy for becoming a Christian. And it needs to be charged as such. As long as we have hate crime statutes on the books, it needs to be charged as such. Justice needs to be done the same way. People need to be treated the same way. We've got to stop having different rules for different races, different religions, and start treating everybody the same. Everybody needs to operate by the same set of rules, be held accountable the same way. No different, different you know, rules for different folks. I, I'm not with that. I'll never accept this idea that everybody gets different rules. Okay. And I think anybody who understands fairness as a child, you know, just simple right from wrong understands why that is not acceptable. Okay. Another local story. I just, I, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn. We have done a lot of work on school choice. And I mean a lot. We have been massive supporters of school choice. We've got this fantastic bill here in Tennessee for school choice. And we've been making the argument all over the state the school choice needs to be the law of the land, and we have explained why until I'm blue in the face. Well, a new poll says that we are winning this fight. Almost 70% of Tennessee residents support Governor Lee's school choice proposal, the one that we've been pushing, while only 19% of Tennesseans oppose the plan. Okay, less than 20% oppose the plan, almost 70% support it. The plan is supported by an overwhelming majority of Republicans, 85%, as well as a majority of independents at 56% and Democrats at 56%. So even a majority of Democrats in Tennessee support school choice. And I wanna say thank you to those people. We may have differences on other policy, but I appreciate that you will put that aside on the school choice issue and do the right thing and support this, this I mean, really generational improvement for Tennessee children and for everybody, honestly, for our whole state. This is going to benefit everybody because better education means better outcomes and a stronger state on every level. Less crime, more prosperity. You're going to see just positive after positive after positive, and we're putting the power back in parents' hands. And so this work we've been doing with AFP Tennessee, if you want to get involved, we still need to get this over the line. This public support is great, but we've got these legislators in Nashville who need our encouragement to do the right thing. These numbers help because in addition to those big support numbers, we also see that 52% of likely voters say that they would be more likely to vote for a legislator who supports the statewide school choice bill compared to only 12% who say it would make them less likely. Now, here's the reality of the situation. The political reality is very clear. If you don't support this school choice bill, you're going to have problems getting elected, period. Because here's the thing, school choice has united the Republican Party in Tennessee. Whether you're, you know, from Bill Lee's sort of side of the Republican Party or mine, where, you know, we're considered slightly more conservative than Bill Lee, doesn't matter where you're at, we support this school choice bill. 
It is going to be fantastic for our state. Knowing that it's going to have the support of such a wide part of our party, where we're going from every end of the spectrum, anybody who stands against it is going to have people rallying against them from every part of our party. We are united on this issue. The school choice, um, or I should say this school choice initiative, it is the initiative that we most certainly need to get done this year. I, there's no excuse for pushing this out. We need to get this done. It is a generational, I mean, this is this is the civil rights issue of our time in my mind. I am very passionate about this, have been for a long time. You wanna see real change in our state, and I've always explained it this way, okay? I, I think this has actually changed more minds on the school choice issue in my personal experience than anything else. I've had a number of people push back against the idea initially. And then I explain the cultural value of school choice, okay? Right now you have the largest pool of Tennessee children in public schools, in big cities, okay, in the big city areas. They're in these public schools that are pushing just woke ideology after woke ideology after woke ideology right now. You take even 20% of those kids and you give their parents the ability and empower them to take that child to a school that matches their values. Say they send their kid to a Christian school or a private school that is in alignment with their values. And that child is now getting away from that woke indoctrination and instead is getting the values of their parents reinforced by the school chosen by their parents. You were talking about a societal sea change, the cultural benefit is something that we're going to be praising for generations because it is going to do so much good. You you will see it within years of this. You're, you're going to be just shocked by the way this changes things on the ground. So we're very excited about it. If you want to be a part of this change, follow AFP Tennessee. That's AFPTN on X. They're doing a lot of great work. You can message them as well on how to get involved. Can't recommend it enough. Um, diving into the Claudine Gay thing. So here's the thing. If you don't know Claudine Gay, she was the president of Harvard. She's the lady who went in front of Congress and essentially refused to say that calling for a genocide of Jews was against Harvard's rules or would cause problems there, such and such. People railed against her. She also has a huge plagiarism scandal, okay? She has been caught plagiarizing so many times, it's absolutely ludicrous, okay? Now, <laughs> what happened next was kind of amazing. There was this big push for her to resign, right? Or for her to be fired. She was not fired. The Harvard Corporation, which is like their highest board, refused to fire her. So what happens next is the pressure mounts, plagiarism accusations pile up. And eventually, over the past couple of days, she finally resigned, okay? So she resigns. The media freaked out. You saw headlines like this all over. Plagiarism is now a conservative weapon against colleges, okay? Um, the AP also went after scalping. You saw, you saw Reverend Al Sharpton and other, quote, civil rights activists say they're going to picket Bill Ackman, the hedge fund manager, who has been really leading the charge along with uh, Chris Rufo against Claudine Gay. They're going to go and picket him, okay? First of all, Bill Ackman's a billionaire, Al, Okay. I really don't think you're going to do much damage. I actually encourage this, though. I encourage Al Sharpton to go and picket Bill Ackman because the more we can illustrate to people how little power people like Al Sharpton actually have, the better. And MSNBC should be ashamed. I mean, this guy's an actual host for a show on MSNBC, and you've got him out here acting like a fool, okay? But he should go do this. He should go pick it every day outside of there, show people what little power he has. Almost nobody will show up, okay? And the people who do are probably paid by his group because his group, what they do, they shake down corporations. I mean, this has been the name of the game for, for Al Sharpton for a long time. Go to a corporation, it's almost like you wouldn't want anything to happen to your company, would you? You're going to support us, aren't you? And, you know, it's basically companies, they seemingly, in my mind, the way I see it is they're paying these people off to, to not be protested against, not be framed as racist. But eventually, the boy who cried wolf loses power. People stop believing them. And that's where Al Sharpton's at. In this age of the DEI cult, people are realizing that you should not listen to people like Al Sharpton. And I think that's a fantastic thing. So go ahead, Al, do these protests. You're only helping prove our point that the DEI cult needs to be done away with.
Here's Ibram Kendi, his response. I mean, he went on a litany of tweets. I'm not even going to go into all of them, but he was posting basically calling everybody who went against Claudine Gay a racist mob for attacking a black person. And he says they legit, they find this racist mob, they, they find a seemingly legitimate reason for their attack against a black person that allows for it to accrue popular support and credibility and which allows the growing mob to deny they are attacking the person in this way because the person is black and you have to love this part okay there's a community note underneath noting the other white presidents of universities who were fired for similar reasons in 2023 of plagiarism and it includes liz mcgill of penn um, who resigned over remarks that were done at the same time as claudine gay okay and mark tesler levine at stanford who resigned over research misconduct Claudine Gay was not attacked because she's black. She may have gotten her job because of that, but she did not get fired because of it. And when I say she may have gotten her job because of it, it's because Harvard initiated a DEI search. They were looking for a black president of their school. I don't think anybody argues that that was not the case. But she certainly was not asked to resign because she's black. She resigned. That was her choice. And honestly, out of everything that's happened, I think it's probably the only smart thing she did. I take that back. She did two smart things. She, the other smart thing Claudine Gay did is she weaponized race. She was taught. You have to understand, institutionally, Claudine Gay was taught by the left that you will advance, you will gain, you will profit, you will have power if you weaponize race. And she did. And she became president of Harvard, the first black president of Harvard. So she did what the left taught her. She was successfully indoctrinated by a cult that seeks to divide us by race. That's the DEI cult. And I think the more people understand what you're seeing now from these, quote, intellectuals like Prudence Carter, Ibram Kendi, you know, the list goes on. They're saying these things. Like Prudence Carter said, what you were subjected to, Claudine Gay, was not right and never will be. Harvard lost a leader with incredible promise. May you recover from this traumatic event I mean, she didn't get hit by a car, okay? The lady plagiarized people. And may she be liberated. Like she's been held, you know, in a camp somewhere. She was on the Harvard campus making almost a million dollars a year, okay? Like the dramatics from these people is incredible. It really, it's, I have to say, the one thing these people deserve is some acting awards because the amount of drama they can inject in a situation where by somebody's own volition, they choose to plagiarize over and over and over again and then face the consequences for it. And they, they call for liberation and then call it a traumatic event is incredible. It is incredible their ability to dramatize that. They say no institution can ever define your worth. Actually, they can. Um, thank you for your willingness to serve peace. The reason they're freaking out like this is because they see the DEI cult is is really in the worst position it's ever been in. We're at a place where they truly are starting to understand they may be an endangered species. DEI really could go extinct. If we go the right direction, we choose the right path as a country, DEI could be dead in the water. And they're scared because they see that we successfully framed this issue to win the support of independence and even some center-left people. And that scares them. And it should. It should scare them because we're not going to stop. This will continue. I will say, one part of this should be infuriating to people. Infuriating. Is that Claudine Gay is going to keep her $900,000 a year annual salary despite resigning as university president. I guess that was one of the perks they worked out. Her new position is not even specified. But she's expected to receive a salary comparable with what she previously received, if not higher. So she may be getting a million bucks plus a year. Unacceptable. If any student at Harvard did this, they'd be expelled, especially if it included plagiarizing, you know, in, in any direction where they had ideas that were not adherent to the far left ideology. They'd be out. Okay. Now, as long as we're talking about DEI and the DEI cult, we've got to talk about this issue with Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, he responded to this tweet from Elon Musk. Elon Musk said, discrimination on the basis of race, which DEI does, is literally the definition of racism. 
which I agree with him fully on. Mark Cuban responds in defense of DEI, and he went on this soliloquy where he basically wrote these poems in, <laughs> in support of DEI. And, you know, my response, I think, cuts through the BS. I said, Mark, in 2021, the S&P 100 companies admitted that they hired minorities for 94% of the 323,094 jobs that they created. 61% of America is non-Hispanic white. They got 6% of those jobs. Respectfully, this statistic reveals your narrative to be a fantasy at best and intentional bullshit at worst. DEI is racism. And for those who don't believe those statistics, here's the story from ABC. Major companies gave 94% of new jobs to people of color in 2021. Okay. And you can see here the job numbers, 323,000. I got the exact number, which was the 323, I believe, 90, 94. Um, go back to it. Yeah, 94. That's the reality of DEI. That is not possible without racism. You can't take a pool of American jobs of 323,000 American jobs and only hire 6% white people for them. That's not possible without racism. You have to have racial discrimination in a majority white country for that to happen. Now, am I saying that white people should have had, you know, 60 something percent of the jobs? No, because you're going to have some differences. It depends on what fields you're hiring in, where people's interests are, things like that. You have to have nuance, but it is impossible for it to be 6% at the S&P 100 companies. Totally impossible. And so that alone sort of disproves Mark's entire theory that DEI is a good thing, and he should be embarrassed, but you know where he fits in? He fits in with the Hollywood crowd, the crowd that says that white people have automatic privilege. Let me show you a clip from a show. This is a show that Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife, you know, the one that Will Smith slapped the guy over, Chris Rock over, that whole, that whole mess. Okay, she has a show. It's called The Red Table, I believe. And she brought on Chelsea Handler. Yes, unfortunately, you're going to have to suffer through Chelsea Handler for a minute. Um, but watch this clip, and we're going to talk about it and watching your documentary. Seeing how white people could actually be confused by the idea of white privilege and why there would be some white people that believe that white privilege is non-existent. So what we're filming is a documentary on white privilege to see if it exists or if it's a fantasy that people are just making up in their heads. What do you think? I think it's something they're making up in their heads. You don't think it exists? No, I had the same privileges that the other guys had. And what, what other guys? Other guys, black, white, Hispanic. Yeah. Right. I think everybody makes their own choices. You were surprised about that. I was surprised because, really? yes, because privilege to a lot of people is related to money. Money. Mm -hmm. That's how I thought of it. Right. Right. And I read a line in a book that said, to many people, equality feels like a loss. Right. And that's the moment. That was the line. I'm very big on one line. Take right. Is, equality feels like a loss. And then I thought, what would I be willing to give up? In, in the name of equality. Right. I, if I really were, if you were to say to me, hey, give me your house and everything's going to be fair and equal. Oh, right. Sure, of course and, I would. Right. But, but what would individuals who, who have nothing to give right. be okay with giving? Right. I feel like if you're born white, you're born with your foot in the door. Absolutely. There are so many things wrong with this, it's not even funny. First of all, Chelsea Handler would not give up her house for equality, but that's a cute little lie from her. I mean, I guess it made her look better at the table with these folks, but does anybody believe she'd be giving up her house for equality? No. Come on, we're talking about one of the most selfish human beings on planet Earth who literally thinks the world revolves around her. It's not happening. Secondly, the idea that every white person born has a foot in the door just by being born white is insane. Have you been to trailer parks? Have you been to Appalachia? Have you seen the parts of America where fentanyl has run through white communities and killed countless people? Have you been in some of the most impoverished white areas of America? Have you been across the world? Have you experienced the world? Have you seen places where white people are in abject poverty, where children are born with almost nothing? I'm guessing you have not. And here's the thing about white privilege that is the most horrifying in my view. You are removing the sacred, beautiful individuality of each person, okay? We are all unique. Some of us are born rich, some of us are born poor, some of us are born strong, some of us are born sick, some of us are born with two loving parents, some are born with two dead parents. 
okay? Everybody has a unique journey. This concept of white privilege and judging people by their skin color, or their, you know, whatever it is, whether it's judging people by their skin color, their sex, the religion they're a part of, all of it is BS because it gets rid of the individuality that makes us all unique. Our life experiences, our character, our integrity, that is what matters. That's what we should be judging each other on. Because if you take a white child from Appalachia whose parents both OD'd on fentanyl, and they're, they're going from foster home to foster home to foster home. Some of those foster homes sexually abuse him, some physically abuse him, some emotionally abuse him. The state has done nothing to help this child. His every experience, waking day of his life as a child is filled with abuse. And you wanna sit down and tell that kid he has white privilege? That he's somehow in a better position than Willow Smith, who was born to two celebrity parents just by virtue of the fact that she's black? That's ludicrous. It's not only ludicrous, it's offensive. It's wildly offensive. That child born to two drug addicts who died of fentanyl overdoses, went into foster care and got abused day by day until he was finally old enough to run free, he had no privilege over Willow Smith. None. And people like Chelsea Handler who try to tell you otherwise are selling you not just a delusion, but they're selling you a system that is meant to divide us. They want us divided. They want us choosing by immutable characteristics that none of us picked out who is a winner and who is a loser. That's what they want us doing. They want us giving advantages to people based on things none of us could ever control. And that should never be acceptable by anyone, all of which is born around a communist mentality. These are the things that make communism run. You need chaos, you need control. And the best way to get it is to divide us by skin. That's one of the best skin, identity, those are division points the communists never let go of. Remember that. I wanna bring up two last things for the show ends today. Um, one is, you know, I saw this floating around online. And it got me to thinking, you see, Irish farmers pressured to cull up to 200,000 cows to meet climate goals. I've been seeing things like this all over the world. I've been seeing all of these headlines about governments trying to get rid of animals so that they can reach, quote, climate goals. It reminds me, reminds me of this. In 1873, the American government killed 1.5 million buffalo in one year alone to starve Native Americans so that they could become more dependent on the American government. There's a lesson there. If you're willing to learn it, there is a lesson there. Be very careful when governments are trying to control food supplies. Be prepared for your family. I warned people, you know, I would love to be the guy who is cheery and hopeful for 2024. I would love to tell you this is gonna be your year. You're going to have an amazing year. This is going to be the best year of your life. I would love to say America's on the comeback. Unfortunately, I don't feel that way. Personally, I've been preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. But I'm going to prepare for my family to be safe. I'm going to, to prepare for them to be able to survive anything. But, you know, while hoping for the best, obviously, I hope I'm wrong. I hope this sinking feeling I have about 2024 is wrong and that I'm crazy and that maybe I'm just, I'm just too paranoid about what's going on in the world. I hope that that's the case. But everything I'm seeing is not good. You know, it's an extension of this system that can only hold so long. This is a house of cards. When you look at cases like Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, the FTX guy. He donated over $100 million in stolen customer funds to U.S. politicians. That's money from normal people who put in, in some cases, every dollar they had to try to invest in crypto to build a retirement for themselves. The U.S. government this week, right after Christmas, announced they're dropping six charges against Sam Bankman-Fried and will not prosecute him for political campaign finance violations. This is the letter that was sent by the Department of Justice. So essentially, an announcement after Christmas, Merry Christmas, there will be no justice. Totally fine to go and game the system and own politicians and do it with other people's money, no problem. No problem, US government is gonna just let that one go. Now, why would they wanna let that one go? Maybe to escape culpability and discovery for politicians? 
maybe to stop people from digging more into that area of things and how potentially certain politicians are scratching the back of certain donors in ways that I think most Americans would be pretty disgusted by. This house of cards can only stand for so long. As each card is removed and more eyes are opened, it's gonna fall. And when it falls, it's not gonna be pretty. There's going to be ramifications economically. There's gonna be ramifications for our national security, for our troops, for everybody. And so that is why I've said, you know, as much as I hope I'm wrong, I really hope other people are on the path of preparing for themselves to be safe, for them to be taken care of, learn some skills that are valuable. At the end of it, what I said is, if I'm wrong, great. That means things are in a good place. And it means that you've learned some skills you didn't have and you taught them to your children. You got more time together. But if I'm right, if I'm right and you don't listen, you just say, Robbie's paranoid. Don't worry about it. We're just going to move forward. We don't need to prepare for anything. Everything's going to be fine. Government will take care of us. Well, if I'm right, you're going to be crawling to the front door of people like me, begging them to help you because you weren't prepared. That's the reality of the situation. And I hope that people are becoming more cognizant of that and doing the things necessary to be prepared. You know, have some ammo, buy guns. You know, have some extra meat stored away. Learn how to hunt. Learn how to, to do the whole process of butchering an animal yourself if you have to. Have a garden. Start a garden. Start a greenhouse. Get some chickens. Provide eggs to your family through those chickens. Do things that are going to prepare you to be able to be self-sufficient. I think all of those things are fantastic right now. Learn those skills with your kids. Learn how to chop a tree down. Learn how to cut it into firewood. Teach your sons. You know, all these things. These are the powerful things that we could be doing right now to just make sure we are ready for a worst case scenario. But that's the show for today. We will see you guys soon. More shows after, you know, this break. We're going we're gonna to really try to get into a groove where we pick a final time. And we will tell you guys when we do that. Um, you know, I have told you guys first before everybody else, our documentary is coming out in February. We're very excited about that. And it's going to be a big deal. We know where we're releasing it now. And I think you guys are going to be very, very, very happy, very excited. We have huge guests that are in the, the documentary that we'll be announcing. And I really think this documentary is going to be, I hope, the seminal documentary of 2024 that really puts together the entire story and teaches us how to win. So we'll see you guys soon.